look, all in all, it, it, it is understandable why people think pet insurance is uh, maybe not the best value for their money. But when it comes down to it, I, as a risk professional, want to ensure that I'm not going to be on the hook for thousands upon thousands of dollars in bills and have to put my children in a situation where they have to understand, hey, daddy's choosing uh, money over our beloved family pet. So um, that's uh, that's where I think you still have value no matter what, even if you are a cynic. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry, and joined by my co-host, Nate Bolander. Hi, Nate. Good morning, Megan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy you're joining me. We are, I I needed to have you come on this podcast with me. (laughs) Because of the topic, huh? Yes. So we're talking about pet insurance and we have on uh dylan whitehead who is the director of claims at pumpkin and i mean how can i not have you on you i mean a lot of people in our office love love pets but when i think about you know a love for pets i think about me so mm-hmm. I yeah I was gonna, how, how many how many of the people in the office had their dog as their ring bearer in their wedding yeah i i don't i not think many. you're it i think you're right yeah. so yeah. And they seemed like they were really well behaved when they did. They didn't run off with the rings and stuff. So. Uh, well, bet we gave Bella the rings. We gave Layla nothing to do, yeah. um, which was, nice. a, I think, an appropriate distribution of the uh, of the work there. But yeah, no, they did a great job, and um, really happy to have them with us. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm so excited to have Dylan on. You know, because he he he's so passionate about pet insurance and the movement you know, towards pet insurance and and I think has some surprising things to share about it too and how it's just evolving in the insurance market. Um, So with that, let's bring him in. Good morning, Dylan. Welcome to the Defense Never Rest. How are you? Morning. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to have you on um, because we're, you know, we have yet to have anyone on to talk about pet pet insurance and pet claims. So this is new territory for for us. Um, So I'm excited to dive into it with you. Yeah, well, it's relatively new territory for me, and it's, uh, as insurance goes, being a 400-plus-year-old industry, I think it's a new territory for the industry as a whole as well. Yeah, and evolving with the industry, and it, like, because I feel like the insurance industry is evolving to be more modernized, um, and I think pet insurance is probably on the forefront of that modern movement. What do you think? Well, it absolutely is. I think pet insurance is a response to a cultural shift about animals and about pets. I think it would have been a challenge 30, 40 years ago to sell uh, health insurance for the family pet. Uh, I know it certainly would have been a hard sell in my household, uh, but I think that we are at a point where animals are no longer viewed as a family pet, but as a part of the family. And pet insurance really, I think, can bridge a, a gap in uh, and a real need when you come up against something unexpected. That's what insurance is for. That's you know the force for good that it can provide to society. And we're, we're filling what I think is a real need. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. And I remember um, back when I my dog was a puppy she's no longer with us but when i got pet Sorry. insurance for her there were like two options okay yeah. <laughs> and it was 
very um, not user friendly. Like it was just like, you're going to spend your money, but you're not really ever going to use this because we're going to make it extraordinarily difficult for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's even still true today. There may be more than two options, but I think there are a lot of options out there that are, uh, you know, looking to charge a low amount. And as we all know, you, you charge low, you get some, you get what you pay for and the coverage isn't really there. That's something that I think differentiates Pumpkin because we are, we're a part of a larger uh, value chain. Uh, we have a supporter in Zoetis, which is the largest animal pharmaceutical company in the world. They're uh, our main investor. So we actually want people to use insurance. And I remember when I, when I was interviewing for this role, I asked the uh, the head of operations, you know, what what's the average severity? What's the uh, what's the average frequency? And I thought I misheard him when he said it was uh, over one hundred percent. That's our average frequency in this line of business. But um, I've come around to understand that you know this is a, a line of business that's designed to be used. It, it, it truly it's a PNC product because pets are chattel under the law, but it is truly a health insurance product for animals and. You think about your own health insurance, you don't really get health insurance not to go to the doctor. Uh, and the same thing exists uh, for animals who need to go to the vet. You, you're going to utilize this insurance. We want you to utilize it. It's designed for you to utilize it. Yeah. So before we really dive into pumpkin and pet insurance, what it's all about, I want to dive into you first. Um, so our listeners know who, who they're listening, who Dylan is and who they're listening to. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I ask all my guests this because everyone's, you know, path to claims or, or, or you know, being an, a, an attorney are very, very different. So, you know, what was your path? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I didn't go to college to get my degree in claims. Uh, <laughs> so I look, I, I wanted to do something completely different. I, I uh, happened to know someone in college who was working at Geico uh, in Southern California, and she was making, I think, twelve dollars an hour. And to me, like the streets may have well, the streets may as well have been paved with gold. Uh, that was huge money. So I thought, okay, I'm I'm going to go make twelve bucks an hour at Geico. Uh, and then I left to go to San Francisco State, where I got my degree in international relations wanted to do something along those lines, but you really need a graduate degree from a fancy DC school to really get into that kind of business. So I thought, look, I know a little bit about insurance. Uh, I can do that for a couple of years and save up some money and, uh, you know, take the GRE, do all of that stuff. And uh, that was 2005 when I took that job with Progressive. Uh, and, you know, here we are in 2022. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, the path was uh, probably similar to most people, which was, uh, you know, you know somebody or you hear something, you apply for a job, and that leads you into what has been a very rewarding career for me. Yeah. So just so we know, the GRE didn't happen? I never took it, but I, <laughs> I still feel I probably would have done relatively well. Yeah. Well, probably. <laughs> but I, I think I think your, your path is... As you say, it's like a typical, but a, a, the most typical path I hear to claims is an atypical path. You know, Indeed it, it is, it's yeah. the it's the common denominator that you know we didn't plan to get here, but here we are, and I'm very happy with the the career path that I, I've taken to to get here. Yeah, well, that's I feel the same way. It wasn't exactly what I would have thought, uh, you know, coming out of college or uh, even 
you know, even after the first few years of my claims career at Progressive as an auto adjuster, I thought, you know, temporary, temporary, uh, I'm going to do something else. And, you know, when I finally decided, okay, this is what I want my career to be uh, and really dedicated myself to it, I, I found myself taking off a lot more than I had previously. Yeah. So was there a point that, it, or a distinct time that you remember being like, you know what, like this, I'm going to stick with this. This is the career for me. Yeah, I think it was really around the time my daughter was born uh, when, uh, and she's 10 now. Uh, so that was when I thought, okay, you know, this is, you know, I, I don't really have the luxury of uh, sort of bouncing from one idea to the next and sort of thinking this is a job that's just here to pay my bills temporarily. You know, I had another human being I was responsible for, and uh, that I think really changed my perspective in a ton of ways, uh, but I do credit it probably with making me uh, more diligent and uh, a smarter, more caring person with respect to insurance. And uh, I think that's what got me into leadership and what has really brought me uh, truly around the world as a, as a claims person. Do you still keep your eye on international relations issues? I mean, is that still a, a hobby for you? It absolutely is. I mean, I, I like to pontificate to my uh, lovely wife about, uh, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and everywhere else in the world. And she politely listens. And uh, I, you know, I, I find it really a fascinating topic. And, you know, after I left Progressive, I went to work for AIG as in, the, in their claims QA for consumer property and casualty. And, I was, I worked claims in 23 different countries during that time and uh, traveled all over the world. And I think what I was doing was truly claims diplomacy. Uh, we were going to different places and trying to convince people that, hey, look, there, there is a quality issue here. We can work together to fix it. These are the corporate standards. And uh, I think having sort of a background in international relations and understanding diplomacy as sort of an art uh, definitely helped me with that. I, maybe you don't want to share this, but where's the most challenging uh, location you went to with respect to that, that maybe you had to Overcome the most hurdles, I'll put it di diplomatically. Yeah, well, uh, I think it's, I can diplomatically answer because uh, <laughs> okay. there there is a country, uh, Japan, where AIG has a huge amount of consumer property and casualty business. It's actually the largest market for consumer property and casualty that AIG has, or at least it was at the time. There are regulations in Japan which prohibit American or foreign uh individuals from directing Japanese employees. So uh, you can imagine as a claims audit person, that's sort of a difficult place to find yourself in. Uh, you're there to direct people. However, you are prohibited from a regulatory perspective from doing so. So it's a much softer conversation. It's a much softer type of uh, type of environment to collaborate in because the Japanese employees can truly just say, thank you very much for your opinion, Mr. Whitehead or Whitehead-san, I guess. And <laughs> then they can go on and do whatever it is they want. So it's much more about having a conversation, building a relationship and explaining, hey, you know, we're not here to turn Japan into the United States. We're here to work together to find places where maybe there's some deficiencies and places where you 
might have an opportunity to do things a little bit better. Uh, one challenge, uh, I think, in Japan was that there was a, a cultural assumption that Japanese people were not capable of committing fraud uh, from a, a cultural perspective and that there were, was a lot of shame involved in, in fraud, which, you know, would be nice if that were uh, a, a cultural attribute of a lot of other places around the world. Um, there's not shame in it in a lot of places. It's almost a sport. But uh, in Japan, that was something that we were able to sort of say, hey, look, we've found these cases where we think there might be some fraud. And I think there's a value to an SIU. There's a value to having people to investigate these kinds of claims. And uh, we were able to identify several claims where, if not outright fraud, at least opportunistic. And, you know, one difference we did see is that once we started putting the screws to people in Japan, uh, they would withdraw their claim uh, at a much higher rate than someone in the United States, for example, who will, you know, go to the EUO and uh, fight it to the death and, uh, you know, generally get... Uh, get uh, a lot of uh, a lot of energy spent by the insurance company trying to make their case uh, whereas in Japan that that there was truly a cultural difference in that people seem to say okay I think you got me um, I don't want to make this claim anymore but that would be what I would say was the most difficult environment to to go as an American as an auditor uh, trying to really make your voice heard and and convince uh, other individuals that, hey, we do have some valuable insight for you, and what can we do to get that figured out? But also a great skill set to carry forward, too, you know, like a skill set that, you know, you, you, it, it, it can translate over it not to just to cl claims here in that, you know, <clears throat> that persuasive skill that you're using in, in a gentle manner, I think goes a long way. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, I don't know that uh, pers gentle persuasion is necessarily the uh, traditional skill set of, of claims management professionals in the United right. States, but uh, it, I think really it is valuable. And, you know, I wasn't always there, even though I came from a, a background where I studied diplomacy and that's what I wanted to get into. Uh, it took me quite a few years to really build that skill set and to be able to utilize that both as a manager, but also as a frontline claims adjuster dealing with individuals and, and human beings. So how did you, how was your path from, from there to, to pumpkin? Cause I mean, it's very different. <laughs> it is. No, it, it, AIG versus now. Yeah, it truly is. Um, so I was actually the head of personal lines claims in Australia and New Zealand, uh, living in Melbourne, Australia, uh, and had come back here to the United States in March of 2020 on a business trip. Um, got stuck here in the United States because I wasn't an Australian citizen, so I uh, wasn't able to get back uh, to help my family move back here to the United States. So my poor wife, and uh, she had to do all of that with the kids, and uh, we weren't even able to pack up our house. We had uh, our, our good friends uh, down in Melbourne who were uh, the SIU manager uh, for AIG, as well as an inland marine adjuster, uh, adjuster uh, who they were both uh, a married couple and they were good friends. They helped pack up our house and they cared for our dog for a few months. And uh, we were able to get my family back here. Um, I worked uh, 
for about a year at Hallmark Insurance as a casualty director. And then I was at Hippo uh, for a brief period, heading up their QA department and helping to build that out as they went towards the SPAC and, and becoming a public company. So uh, from there, uh, I, I just got a call one day and it was from a recruiter who I'd known for a few years. And he said, hey, listen, I don't call you with every opportunity, but this one I think is really something special and something that I think you would be really well suited for. So I, he said, uh, you know, it's with pumpkin insurance. I said, what the hell's pumpkin insurance? <laughs> uh, he said, it is a, it's a pet insurance company. And, you know, I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I, I don't really know a ton about pet, but um, I'm willing to listen. And as I heard more and more about Pumpkin, about the mission, and about pet insurance in general, I thought this is an opportunity for me to really start something special, an opportunity for me to really do some good in the world and take a line of business that is really underutilized in the United States. I couldn't believe the market penetration on pet when I found out that it was only about 3% in the US. So about 3% of pets in the United States are insured under a, a pet uh, in a pet health plan. So I've, I've had it for years because I'm an insurance professional. I'm uh, averse to risk. So we've always had it for our animals. And it was just really an interesting thing for me to find out, well, you know what, in the UK and Australia, it's, you know, 30% in the Nordic countries and a lot of other European uh, jurisdictions, it's 50 plus percent market penetration. So here we thought uh, that there's really an opportunity to build something and to create something that's special and different. And look, we could double the size of the pet insurance industry in the United States. And it's still only at 6%, but we, we could double the entire business. And so there, there's plenty of room to grow. This is not auto or home where you're fighting for people who already have another insurance company. You can be trying to, uh, to acquire customers who maybe have never even heard of pet insurance. So the, the opportunity here is really uh, the sky is the limit. And so between that and between the opportunity to really start a brand new claims department with a well-supported, uh, well-funded company that has the eye towards the future and the eye to really do things better, uh, it was sort of a no-brainer when, when they offered me the role. So I have so many questions. So <laughs> I have hopefully a lot of answers. I'm like, where do I start first? Well, <laughs> One, when you, when you mentioned how, how low it, the pet insurance is in the U.S., why do you think that is compared to you know, other countries? Like, why is it? Because, I mean, it's not like we, everyone doesn't have pets. And, you know, it's, so in your mind, what do, you, what do you think the reasoning behind that is? Well, there's a couple of factors at play. I think one of which and the most important of which is, is a regulatory issue. Um, it, I came back to the United States after spending five years working uh, in overseas environments. And the, the regulatory environment here in the United States for insurance is incredibly difficult uh, compared to countries where you can file, you, you don't even have to file a plan. Uh, you, can put, you can just go with a plan. You know, you have to show that you're capitalized, obviously. You have to show that, uh, you know, you have a product that is, uh, you know, needed and all of that. 
but there isn't this, you know, going through 50 separate regulators to get forms approved and rates approved. And there's, it's, it's a new line of business and it's tough to get a lot of that stuff off the ground and through regulators. It's a real barrier to innovation, uh, just the regulatory environment in the United States. That's one. Two, I think there is a cultural uh, aspect here in the United States, which one, I think, you know, people are a little uh, more suspicious of insurance in general. Uh, I think that there is sort of a, uh, a mindset that, you know, insurance companies are looking out for themselves, not necessarily looking out for policyholders. And there are, while the regulatory environment is challenging, there are some regulatory issues in Europe, for example, where in Spain, there was recently a law passed where animals were are, are considered to have sentience and animals are considered to not necessarily have the same rights as a human, but they have more rights than a car or a house, um, which in the U.S., there's really no differentiation in, under the law for an animal and uh, an inanimate object. So there is a, there's, there are some places where pet insurance is even uh, compulsory in Europe. So that obviously is going to create a much higher market penetration. But I th those are the two main factors. I think it is cultural. I think it is, uh, there's regulatory barriers that don't exist in other places. But as we see our culture shift more towards considering animals parts of the family, considering animals as really things that it's a no brainer to, uh, to pay, you know, five, six, $7,000 if your pet needs a, a surgery. That is something that probably didn't exist uh, 20, 25 years ago. I think, you know, if your pet, I, you know, I know that certainly if one of my pets growing up needed a five or six or $7,000 surgery, well, I was going to be, um, you know, having my last moments with that pet and telling it, uh, you know, how much I loved it and, uh, you know, good luck in the great beyond. Um, but I think now it's, we, we talk to people who have pets and who are uh, pet parents and they're telling us, you know, hey, um, if I had to pay $10,000 for a medical procedure for my pet, I'm obviously going to do that. And they need a tool to be able to help them to facilitate that cost and transfer that risk. And so I, I think it is changing. And I think we are coming to a place where you are going to see pet insurance blow up uh, over the next several years. The pandemic really, I think, influenced that as well. People were isolated. People didn't have the, the connection that they had had previously. And, you know, you saw news stories in 2020 about shelters being empty. And uh, that was something that I think it was really, uh, it was a really game changing sort of shift in, in how pets were, were just treated and how, how we think about them. And I think pumpkin has come onto the scene at the right time to really provide a tool and provide the support for pet owners, pet parents to be able to make sure that, hey, $10,000 uh, might not cost you $10,000 because you have made the right decision to get an insurance plan for your pet. That was going to be one of my questions because I've read a lot of articles about the pandemic increasing the number of adoptions, the amount we're spending on pets, obviously the time we're spending with pets, et cetera. Has it, have you seen a, a similar increase in the, in the number of policies that people are taking out on their pets? 
Yeah, I, I think that the industry in general is seeing a lot of uh, a lot of benefit from the from the pandemic. You know, it's a weird thing. You know, ninety five percent of businesses uh, had to adjust because of negative factors from from the pandemic. But you know, if you happen to sell hand sanitizer or manufacture masks, um, you were in a pretty good spot. And I think. Or run, uh, run Zoom. Or yeah, yeah. If you were uh, in the business of helping remote employees, you, you know, you definitely were in a good spot. So Zoom, you know, obviously is, has done really well. I think that uh, pet health uh, in general has done well because people are more apt to want to care for their pets because they're spending a lot more time with them, even if they had a pet before, even if they didn't, they weren't part of this emptying the shelter movement. They they're at home all day with their pets. And, you know, that that bond and that connection was built even more during the pandemic. And I, I think that, you know, it's you, you don't want to say, hey, we've really benefited from COVID. Um, that's, you know, not really where it's at. But we really have, I think, come on the scene at the right time to provide a very valuable service to people and uh, the animals that they take care of. And. Yeah, for sure. Like I, even I, I was just talking to a friend of mine who they got their, their dog in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I was mentioning to her before I got on today, I'm like, Oh, I told her about the podcast and she's like, Oh, let me, let me know I have pet insurance, but I don't really like mention how she didn't really like, like the company. And she's like, I panic signed up because there was one time that their puppy was sick. And she's like, I got really nervous. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I got insurance right away. Yeah, no, I think that, so look, I think we all can say that the general public doesn't understand their insurance policies as a matter of course. That's uh, something that we all are, are probably familiar with. It's even worse in pet. I mean, people really don't understand their pet insurance policies and a lot of pet insurers don't make it all that easy. You know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about how there were, you know, you had two options when you were looking at it years ago and they really weren't very friendly as far as actually using them. You know, you have companies that have per incident deductibles so uh, or per condition deductibles. You have companies that have you know, really low limits uh, and you have companies that have really low reimbursement rates. And people, you know, they, they don't know that when they're signing up. You know, nobody's going to go and look and see. They're going to say, oh, well, I have a $250 deductible or a $500 deductible. Well, they don't know that that's going to reset every time they have a new issue. Um, you know, they're they're expecting this is going to behave like my health insurance, and you're going to have a deductible. And once that's satisfied, well, then the insurance company is going to take care of the rest. That's the way it works at Pumpkin. You know, we we've designed a product that we think we want people to be able to easily understand and to utilize. And we, you know, the lowest limit we sell is a $10,000 uh, annual limit uh, and, uh, or $7,000 annual limit, excuse me. Um, and we only have deductibles of 1,000, or sorry, 100, 250, and 500. And those are annual deductibles. And we only have one reimbursement rate, which is 90%. So there's a coinsurance of 10% after you've satisfied that deductible. But that's just not how it works with so many pet insurance companies out there, you know, and people don't know until it's time to file a claim. And then people think, oh, you know, this insurance company doesn't want to pay for anything. They don't want to take care of me. They don't want to take care of my pet. This is just marketing. And, um, you know, what am I even paying this for? So it's a, it's a 
it's a tough spot to be in, but I'm glad to, I've always felt strongly that, you know, if I'm going to work at an insurance company, I have to feel good about working there. I, I have to feel like I'm able to do right by people. And I think Pumpkin certainly provides that service. And so I'm happy and proud to be here. I have a dog who Megan knows is the office dog and she's wonderful. And she was, you know, like every person in their thirties, you get a dog. And then as you go through breakups and moves, you have one constant. It's, it's that dog, yep. right? I hear you. Exactly. So I, she's the apple of my, I now have a 10 week old daughter and I say, now they're, now they're, they're square. They're one A and one B, you know, so, <laughs> Two uh, yeah. exactly. My, my dog was my, congrats uh, was on your daughter, by the way. Thank you very much. I'm surprised you haven't heard her in the next room, but, but it's good. Um, but my dog was our, was a ring bearer in our wedding. I mean, it, you know, Megan can attest, this is, you know, I'm pretty obsessed with this dog. I don't have pet insurance for her because mm-hmm. I'm a, cause I, and I don't <laughs> because I'm a, I'm a cynic I'm I, you know I'm like a skeptic and I'm sure Dylan you deal with a lot of people that, that say listen it's a scam or I'm never going to use it or read the fine print but I that that is an aside my wife does have pet insurance for the dog that she brought into the relationship and I know mm-hmm. when we go to the vet and it's 600 bucks for just annual checkups and blood work and things like that she submits it to insurance and she gets 35 bucks back and she's what the hell, you know, I have pet insurance for what I pay every month for what? And when you read it, there's everything is excluded. Everything's an exception. Do you get a lot of people who that, that want pet insurance that say, listen, how are you different? You know, there were two for forever. You're now entering the market. What are you providing that, that I've been screwed on for 10 years with someone else? Yeah, look, I mean, people don't say that because uh, they just enjoy uh, being cynical. Well, I mean, maybe a few, but uh, in general, people have had bad experiences, which lead them to opinions, which are probably based in some fact. And, you know, there, there's a few things that I think come into play there. One is is the fact that, you know, there are a ton of exclusions that exist in a lot of policies, and some of them are you know, for things that you would think otherwise should be covered. Uh, and, you know, just a common wisdom would dictate this is something that I think should be covered under the policy. I think Pumpkin has a, a simpler plan um, where, you know, of course there are exclusions, but uh, there aren't the same number, uh, there aren't the same uh, breadth of exclusions. I mean, our, our standard policy is. I think seven or eight pages long, um, which it was a real breath of fresh air for me coming out of, uh, you know, home uh, where the, you know, the endorsements are longer than the 25, 30 page policy. Uh, There's just not that complexity. We still do have an opportunity, however, I think to provide better education to policyholders and customers. And that's a real struggle because the, the, I think, the, how do we deliver that, I guess, is the the main challenge that we run into. So, you know, pre-existing conditions, it's probably the most common uh, exclusion that you could have, which, you know, there's obviously a very good reason for that, because if not, uh, the pet insurance industry would be insolvent, uh, probably, I don't know, uh, two, All three right. days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it would not take long. Uh, but I think we can do a better job of explaining, you know, what is a pre-existing condition? What is not a pre-existing condition. Pumpkin actually allows for a lot of conditions to be considered curable. So if it is a curable condition, as long as that animal does not show signs for uh, 180 consecutive days, uh, then that 
pre-existing condition can be deleted uh, and erased as a pre-existing condition. So that doesn't apply to things like allergies. It doesn't apply to, you know, like um, heart defects and things like that, that you're never going to be able to cure. But for a whole host of other curable conditions, we provide for a, a way for you to be able to get out of that exclusion. And you know, I think there are still a lot of opportunities for us to educate customers and educate people who have pets about why pet insurance is valuable and why uh, it it is, at least with pumpkin, something that you're going to get your your benefit back with and, and something that you are going to be able to, uh, to make sure that it, it is a valuable thing. You know, on the other hand, you potentially have people who expect, well, you know, I've paid this amount of premium. I should be getting this amount. I should be getting that amount back or more, uh, or this is not a, a valuable thing for me. Um, and I view, I view pet insurance as something where, yeah, you are going to be able to get the, uh, the same type of, uh, of utilization like you would be out of a health insurance policy. But, you know, I don't really have health or the pet insurance. So so that, you know, if my dog has a $200 or $300 visit to the vet, uh, I'm going to be uh, reimbursed. I mean, that's nice, but really I have it in case my dog gets cancer, uh, God forbid. My dog is hit by a car. Uh, my dog has some kind of traumatic uh, or a, a, a larger type of exposure where, hey, I need to have that reverse lottery ticket in my pocket uh, and be able to present that. Uh, that's really, I think, another education piece because look, sometimes things are gonna get denied. Does that mean that this policy is not valuable for me? I, I, I don't think so. And I, I try to ensure that we are having those conversations when it's appropriate uh, with our claims team to ensure people are aware that, look, there is still a lot of value in this. You know, you don't cancel your health insurance because, uh, you know, you're, you're only using it when you have a cold. Um, you know, God forbid something happens to you, you want to make sure that a catastrophic incident is covered. So, um, look, all in all, it, it, it is understandable why people think pet insurance is uh, maybe not the best value for their money. But when it comes down to it, I, as a risk professional, want to ensure that I'm not going to be on the hook for thousands upon thousands of dollars in bills and have to put my children in a situation where they have to understand, hey, daddy's choosing uh, money over our beloved family pet. So um, that's, uh, that's where I think you still have value no matter what, even if you are a cynic. I will, I have to say though, in my house, in my house, the, the pets always ran away. That, that was my, my, <laughs> oh, Cotton, yeah. she just ran away. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, uh, you know, yeah, I think Did she find out, she find out you didn't have pet insurance for her. That's why. Yeah, she said, oh, these people don't care about me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running to a family who uh, is going to purchase a uh, fair and uh, valuable pet insurance policy for me. <laughs> so, you know, you had spent, a, a, you know, a long time at, I want to, AIG, like, I want to say like big box, like legacy type carriers. And then, Definitely. you know, you moved over to, to Hippo, which, you know, I don't know if I can call hippo a startup anymore i don't think they they are but they they were and they're in sure tech yeah. and they're like breaking into, the, into that world you know how was that transition going from this you know giant giant established um legacy carrier to something that 
wasn't quite quite there yet and now a pumpkin's like kind of a you know it's a similar situation you know more of a, a startup scenario yeah well i mean i think in a lot of ways it is refreshing uh, you know i think if you're at a large scale insurer uh, who's been around for a hundred plus years there's going to be a lot of established processes there's going to be a lot of established uh individuals who may think you know this is the way that we have been doing things for a long period of time and uh you know, we're, we're not changing it and there's, or, you know, maybe that you want to change things, but it's like turning around a super tanker in a canal. Like that's not really uh, an option because of a lot of structural barriers that are in place at some of those large scale carriers. So when you come to a smaller startup and I agree, Hippo is probably not in the startup category anymore, but it's certainly still in insure tech player. Uh, you are able to see that there are there are opportunities to actually truly make change uh, and to truly make a difference in creating a better claims process. One of the frustrations I have with uh, with claims and insurance as an industry is you have this collision of of tech people uh, who have no idea about insurance and don't understand it at all. Uh, And then you have, they are colliding with insurance people who don't truly understand technology. And you watch those people try to have conversations with each other and try to come to a place where uh, they can you know, agree on a new process, for example. And because of that lack of understanding on either side, you will see uh, tech used to enable uh, a 30, uh, 50, 60 year old process. So you're not truly making any real changes. You're not breaking down the entire process to see what are we trying to achieve here? Um, You know, for example, in, in auto, you know, you We've, I've taken a thousand recorded statements from people. Is the goal to obtain a recorded statement about a loss? Uh, I think a lot of claims people would answer absolutely. You know that that is our our goal is to obtain a recorded statement. Whereas I think if you really figure out what are you trying to achieve there, you're trying to gather information to allow you to properly adjudicate coverage and determine liability. Does that require a recorded statement from every person who was involved in the loss? I would say it probably doesn't. Um, but you have uh, you have tech people trying to say, okay, well, if a recorded statement is the goal, then here's how we can um, you know automate calls out so that you know the call will go out, and if it comes back in, uh, if someone answers, it'll go back into an adjuster who can then uh, take a recorded statement. No, you know, we can send an SMS message uh, to someone and have them fill out a uh, decision tree based uh, information form, which will allow us to potentially automate uh, coverage and automate liability in a lot of simple scenarios. But um Look, that's just one example, but I think that, that's why it's refreshing to come to an insure tech and to come to a place where, hey, let's see what can we actually do to achieve the mission that we are trying to here. How I'm not saying I'm a, a, the smartest guy in the world or a great tech mind, but I at least can understand that, hey, like let's figure out how can we get technology to enable the goals that we're trying to achieve. And let's break those goals down into something that we can agree is is really going to facilitate moving this claim forward. I mean, what do people want when they file a claim? 
like they want to get paid. Um, Like that's, and that's a perfectly fine motive. I mean, that's why people have insurance. So how can we shorten that process? How can we check the boxes we need to check uh, while getting everything that we need in order to make that payment at the end of the day? I have the opportunity to do that at Pumpkin. I can just say I probably didn't have the opportunity to do that at some of my previous employers. Right. So, and it, it must be very empowering to come in and be like, I like, just like you said, I can do some, I can do yeah. something differently here. I don't need to do it this way because it's been done that way. And there's so much red tape and roadblocks to change it. You know, I'm saying generalize, generalizing at the a larger, more established, not more established, but larger carrier. Yeah, I think a legacy carrier yes. is the, the perfect term for it. And yeah. it it is empowering. Um, there's some negatives in coming into uh, a pumpkin where I have the most insurance experience of anyone at the company. <laughs> um, that's That can be tough sometimes because, you know, there's there's things that I just take for granted as, as knowledge that exists within an insurance entity. Um, so that, that doesn't always occur. And sometimes there's some discussions and explanations that need to be had. On the other hand, you don't have people who, for example, would think, um, you know, well, I have to, I'm going to have to send an IA to go out and look at this dog um, in order to adjudicate this claim. Um, So I think being able to sort of have the autonomy and have the ability to create a process that is fit for purpose for 2022, for digitally savvy consumers, for people who really are looking to get their claims squared away and taken care of in, in the most efficient way possible, that's it is empowering and it's absolutely great and a, a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think about people in my family who like, would hear me talking about insurance and how much fun I'm having. And, you know, I, I think that not everyone would understand, but I think your podcast audience would, would, would think, geez, that does sound like a great place to be. That does sound like a great opportunity. And I look for that from my adjusters too. You know, these are people who come from a veterinary background. I hire exclusively vet techs as my uh, claims adjusters, and then we train them to become insurance people because I, you can't teach uh, veterinary medicine in the training period that you have for a claims adjuster. You can teach insurance and you can get people licensed, but you know, I'm looking to them because I don't have that background. I don't have that experience. I want them to come to me with innovative ideas about how to do things. And I only want to hire people who I think have that capacity to really contribute to me building a better claims organization. And, and I, I love that point, though, too, about hiring only vet techs, because, it, like, you need that expertise, and you can't fake that expertise either, and you, and you don't want them to. No. <laughs> yeah, you don't, uh, and I, you don't want, you want people who really know what they're doing and who can speak with authority to why coverage should be affirmed or why coverage should be denied. That doesn't come from somebody who's handled uh, environmental liability claims. Um, that doesn't come from somebody who's used to construction defect. That comes from someone who can understand 
what the health conditions that this pet is suffering from really mean, what the appropriate treatments are, and how you can uh, apply the the treatments and the condition to a policy wording. And that I can train and and I'm happy to do it. And I I love talking to people about insurance. Um, I'm on this podcast because of my love for talking to people about insurance. So uh, it's it's something that I think is uh, really just, it's a no-brainer. It is, would be impossible to train somebody to look at veterinary medical records and make any sense of them whatsoever if they don't come from a, a veterinary medicine background. And there is a big pool of people who are in the veterinary medical world who are looking to do something a little different. The pay is atrocious uh, for veterinary technicians and for veterinary professionals who are not DVM, who are not doctors of veterinary medicine. The uh, working conditions, uh, especially during the pandemic, you know, these people were just overworked and uh, they're being underpaid in a lot of cases uh, just to, you know, deal with people who, you know, maybe didn't respect what they're doing. I think these are people who have real knowledge, who have gone through very extensive training only to come out to get paid, you know, 12, 13, $14 an hour uh, and work under really tough conditions. They do it because they care about animals and they love animals. And this job, this role within pumpkin and within claims is an opportunity for them to apply that love for animals and to serve animals in a a different part of that chain where they can work at a desk and where they can have a little bit more flexibility with their day and with their time. Yeah. Well, I, I dated a girl who was a, um, a emergency veterinarian and vet techs. I got to know a lot of them through her and they're the kindest people. And just, of course, bringing our dogs to the vet. I mean, they're, they're the kindest people ever. Our dogs are not the best with some of the tests they have to do. And they're just like super patient and <laughs> just wonderful people. But that is an aside on the same token, though, um, the person, my ex-girlfriend, who is a, a emergency vet um, veterinarian, said that and I don't know how I'm going to phrase this. I'm going to try to do my best, but that, that people look at pet care and I'm sure pet insurance as like a charity. So yeah. they, she worked, she worked at, a, at a, an emergency veterinary clinic. Every dog that showed up was missing a leg, had been hit by a car, you know, was violently vomiting. And the people would take, you know, they'd take care of them and they say, listen, this is going to be expensive endeavor, whatever you need to do to save muffins, you go do it. It's fine. No problem. Yeah. They, they had a, they had an aqua, an aqua rehab facility where the dogs mm-hmm. would run underwater on a trip. I mean, this was a this state-of-the-art facility. Yeah, and absolutely. then they'd say, okay, you know, uh, two surgeries in and, and two weeks of physical therapy, $60,000. And the yeah. people are like, whoa, for muffins, she's beautiful. We love her. She's, a, you know, I think it, it, so there was always this, this, you know, when you go to the doctor, there's not a lot of argument about the bill. When you go to the grocery store, there's not a lot of argument about <laughs> what you have to pay, but it always seemed to me that when she came home and she didn't deal with the billing, but she heard these conversations it was always a pushback from people saying it's a pet. Can you, are you really going to do this to us for our pet? You know, she yeah. was on death's door. Do you find that in the same way in claims where you get pushback on either premiums or the payouts because it's the, the pet insurance and pet care industry is looked at as like a, a, a charity or, or a, like a pro bono kind of activity. So it's a great point. And I think a lot of people are probably unaware that 
people who work in veterinary medicine have some of the highest suicide rates of any profession in, in the United States. And there's a lot of compassion fatigue that can come along with working in an industry where exactly like you say, um, people expect that, you know, they're going to receive a certain, uh, a certain break on something because they, uh, they're, look, this is my animal. You got to help me out with this. This is my pet. And, you know, you, people also have to earn a living. Like, again, like I said, that pet insurance could become insolvent in two or three days. If uh, we started covering pre-existing conditions, you know, do you want every veterinary clinic in the country to close because they are charities or, uh, you know, that's, unfortunately, that's not the way that it works. And, you know, we do find to a degree that uh, people, you know, they do expect claims to be paid and they do expect, um, you know, not to be charged a whole lot of money. We struggle a lot with trying to find, you know, what are people willing to pay? What is that balance that where we can provide valuable coverage, but still charge a premium that we think people are willing to pay? And it's, yeah, I think people do expect to some degree that, you um, Hey, you've, this is my dog. Look at how you know beautiful my dog is. And it, you should take care of this dog regardless of any financial uh, considerations. I mean, that to a degree, that's natural. That's human nature. Like you would, you, people are starting to look at animals and pets as, as children uh, in a lot of environments. You know, you're not going to have a situation where you you are, people are going to say, look, I'm just not going to, you know, treat your child for their broken arm because, uh, they're not, uh, the, you're, I don't think you're going to be able to pay for it. Um, and you're also not going to make a decision about your child's life, uh, based on the, the monetary value that's, that's, uh, attributed to whatever treatment they need. So it, look, it is a fair point. I think there, there are a lot of people who think, look, just, you just got to cover this. Um, you've just got to charge me something less than this. Um, I think that's something we experience, uh, in pet health, just in the same way that, that, uh, veterinary professionals are, are treating it. Thankfully, we're a little bit more removed, but, um, the, the other positive is that, Hey, we're providing a tool that will allow uh, veterinary professionals to treat your animal. Um, we're taking the financial consideration out of it in a lot of ways. And we, our main mission is to obviously to support pets and to support animals and to support our policyholders, but it's also to take care of veterinary practices, to take care of vets. And that's something that really differentiates Pumpkin from our competition who are basically insurance companies companies going into another line of insurance. We came from Zoetis. We came from an animal health company who thought that insurance was a logical tool to help provide their existing customers who are veterinary professionals with a way to take some of that, uh, that financial aspect and that fatigue in feeling compassion for people out of the equation. I mean, and I think a, a factor that maybe general people forget is these, it costs a lot of money <laughs> to like it, you know if you have an x-ray of of a, a dog like mm -hmm. that's costing a lot of money like these aren't like just i mean it costs money to do it on a human it's going to cost money on an adult in some ways in a dog it's going to be harder to have that that animal yeah, yeah, stay still <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 
you know, stay still, Bruno, don't move, yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's going to ruin this X-ray view. Um, it is. And, you know, it, it, vets are not immune from the inflationary pressure that everyone is feeling at the moment, but they're certainly not immune to the the accelerated inflation that occurs in health products. I mean, we see that in human health. Uh, there, uh, you know, you look at the average cost of care for any human being in the U.S., and it has far outpaced out inflation over the past ten or fifteen years. And the a lot of the same medicines, a lot of the same technology, a lot of the same tools are used in pet health as well. And you see the the same type of inflation that outpaces the the general rate of inflation in the US. So it, it's certainly not at all something that, that vets are immune to. Yeah. Um, well, we are just about out of time and I know you, you, you only have your area. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want them to come pull you out mid, mid question. Kicking and screaming about uh, how everyone needs to get pet health insurance uh, as young as they possibly can to uh, avoid pre-existing condition exclusions. Yeah, I would be saying that as the security guards were dragging me out. I mean, that if I could deliver one message about pet insurance, it would be get it and get it early. Um, because it, it, the sooner you get pet health insurance, the better outcomes you're going to have with your insurance coverage and the more valuable it's going to be. And if you insure a 10 or 12 year old cat or dog, there's going to be a lot of conditions that we're unfortunately unable to cover. But you know, if you insure a three month old kitten or puppy, you are not going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to have a lot of pre-existing conditions built up. And that's going to allow us in the pet health insurance industry to provide you with a, a lot more value. So if we're at the end of our time or coming close to it, that would be one thing I want to make sure we get out. Well, and Bill, it's not Bill, Bill. Sorry, okay. Bella just turned 10. So well. luckily I have my earphones in, so she's not going to hear. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to run away like Megan's dog. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Sorry, Megan, go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say it's like kind of similar to life insurance. So, you I mean, you want to get life insurance earlier so that yep. those, those conditions don't come up and you have to pay more. I mean. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but one thing I, I am curious about, and I don't even know if you, you're able to share or not, but in your time, have you seen any um, ridiculous or claims that kind of stick out in your mind as, oh man, I can't, I never in my career did I think I was going to be seeing this or talking about this. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes I, uh, there are policies out there that have, uh, unlimited annual limits and, you know, I can think of a, a malpractice claim that I came across uh, where a vet, unfortunately, during a procedure, uh, they they nicked an artery and uh, the dog was had they had to go to a uh, they had to go to a local university veterinary facility to attempt to save that dog's life and. Uh, they, that dog was put on life support and uh, was in a coma for two months uh, while being artificially supported. And, you know, that, that was a well into the six figures claim. Um, and that's something I never expected we would, we would ever be able to see a six figure potential claim uh, in, in pet health. Uh, you know, I just didn't think that kind of severity existed. 
it's not common. Um, it's super uncommon, but it, it can happen. And uh, that's why we have moved to offer an, uh, an unlimited annual limit because especially in higher cost areas, um, you know, like tri-state area or Southern California, you are going to start to see costs that even if you don't run across a situation like that, um, you are going to find yourself in a situation where maybe $10,000 is not enough to, to cover a major situation. So um, there, you know, there's, there's not a ton of claims out there that you just think, um, you know, this is, it's, I guess maybe you, they start to become run of the mill, like the things that dogs and cats, well, especially dogs, cats seem to be a little smarter, but uh, dogs, <laughs> you know, the things that they will eat, the things that yes. they will ingest and the things that you see uh, sometimes on X, rays in medical records, um, you know, the perfect outline of an action figure, um, you know, in a dog's stomach, uh, if, or, you know, Hey, this plastic looks delicious. You know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just keep chewing on it and keep swallowing it. Maybe the next bite of plastic is the tasty one. I, you know, I'll keep going until somebody (laughs) finds me, but yeah. Yeah. I had to take my dog to the emergency room because she ate a glass Christmas ornament. She just was like, Oh, that looks delicious. I'm just going (laughs) to just gonna eat that up. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, to uh, maybe when I first started, those claims would have struck me as being, you know, funny or interesting. But now I'm just like, yeah, dogs eat glass. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> it's just something that they'll do. Um, and I think if you're a pet owner, or a dog owner, you can certainly identify with like, what the hell were you thinking uh, when, yep. you know, you're, you're having to take uh, your animal to the vet, but you know, that's why we exist because uh, dogs certainly don't seem to be getting the message on uh, plastic and glass. And, you know, we vets exist for that reason. And we exist to support uh, you when you unfortunately have to go through something like that. I will say, or, let me, do- sorry, as oh, dogs will, eat glass very willingly they also will eat cotton balls soaked in milk that's supposed to help trap the glass <laughs> like I, I i would just put cotton balls in milk to just eat them like i was giving her marshmallows i was like i guess this is gonna help <laughs> yeah and well, we'll go to the er <laughs> looks like cotton candy i guess uh and you know but hey if, if glass is tasty <laughs> I, uh if i were coming from that baseline um i would be happy as could be to have a, a cotton ball with milk on it <laughs> And speaking of things soaked in milk, so let's uh, let's add baby birth cloths to that too. I've learned <laughs> the last two months. Nothing yeah. one of our dogs likes more than a little bit of curdled milk on a little on a little tiny piece of cloth. That's wonderful for her. So yeah, well, uh, look, all the best to your dog. Man. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thanks, Dylan. I mean, I, well, I'm going to call Pumpkin right after this and get some. Yeah, well, we're, we're we we uh, I was in our Columbus office uh, earlier this week listening to uh, our very skilled staff take those kinds of calls. So mm-hmm. um, they would be happy to hear from you. Great, excellent, thank you. <laughs> Is it, hopefully, is it Layla eating the burp? Cl- it's Layla. Yeah, Bella doesn't care. My ten-year-old, she just wants to. She just wants sunlight and somewhere to lay down. It's the five-year-old. Uh, the five-year-old. That's the problem. But you know. don't we all? That's that sounds yeah. beautiful to me. It doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for for coming on. I feel like I could keep you on for another, you know, hour and picking your brain out about these claims. I find it fascinating and just just the you know, the, in the area that you're in, in insurance, I think it's, it is super interesting and that you're just on the cutting edge. And I envy your position of, you know, you're able to build a department and kind of, you know, design it how, how you want it and run it how you want it. And I think that's wonderful. I, I, uh, 
this has always been a little bit of a dream of mine to be able to come into a new organization with a greenfield in front of me. And I'm very thankful to Pumpkin for uh, seeing the potential in me to be able to achieve that. And I'm, I'm very happy to continue on down that road and I'm happy to come back on if you ever think of any more questions that you just are, are dying to hear the answer to. Oh, I never have a shortage of questions, but I, I also wanted to mention one thing though, because I, I just remembered it from our phone call um, that you had mentioned, I just want to make sure we bring up that, you know, how refreshing it is though to work in a company like Pumpkin, like you were mentioning that you had a call with your CEO and you were saying that his, his dog would like needed him that day. So you had this, you know, this conference call about something pretty important and he, you know, his dog was sitting on his lap and, you know, it was just part of part of the meeting. And I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it really wouldn't be a call at Pumpkin uh, if a dog or cat or, you know, I once saw a rooster coming up onto <laughs> someone's shoulder and just looking around uh, on the call and the, the individual, the rooster owner, um, you know, it was as though, uh, you know, it wasn't even as disruptive as if a human child had come into the room. It was just, oh, yeah, it's a rooster. It's sitting on my shoulder. So, and Alex, our, our CEO, is he's just as aligned with the rest of us on the fact that, hey, you know, animals are important. We, uh, we are here to take care of them. And, you know, that's the culture here. And uh, it definitely is a different culture from some of the legacy culture uh, or legacy carriers that I've worked at in the past. And it, it's a, a wonderful place to be with wonderful people all truly pulling towards the same goal. Yeah, I, I want to come visit your office and, and see, see what other visitors you have that day. <laughs> there will always be an animal there uh, and probably Measure. several. So next time yeah. you're in Midtown Manhattan or Columbus, Ohio, I can uh, certainly make arrangements for you. Yeah, it's one thing I, I miss about being in our office. Nate would always bring his his dogs into the office. Um, and my, my girls always ask about it too. Like, oh, are Layla and Bella in the office? I was like, no. Nate, <laughs> I, I, no we're, we're holding you way over, Dylan, but I have to share with you that Megan's daughter drew pictures and then put the put the tape rolled up on the front of the picture so she could put them on my on my window to my office. And I asked her, I think Megan asked her, what 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 are you doing? They're facing inwards to Nate's office. No one could see them. She said they're for Bella, my dog, to look at while she's laying there. What an adorable thing to do. I mean, well, and obviously you're not thinking about that, Nate. So somebody has to. So yeah, uh, I mean, thank I, God. I, yeah, exactly. I don't give her any pictures to stare at. Just a right. just just be, just food, clothes, beds, uh, and and a nice you know adoption from a shelter. That's what I did. But yeah, no pictures. Yeah, no you're, pictures. But you haven't part. gotten to hundred percent yet. And, no, uh, Megan's not, daughter's no. clearly helping you there. Well, she also, she also she also does to our fish tank. She also tapes these like lights that just strobe light so i'm sure she's going to give our fish a heart attack so. well, once we start uh insuring fish oh, uh i'm sure the uh epilepsy that that might lead to uh we'll we'll certainly do the best we can to help reimburse yeah. those vet bills yeah. yeah there was a funeral for the first one and now that it's just commonplace when they when they move on when they run away yeah 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 well yeah there's some of that <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much, Dylan. I truly appreciate you coming on. Why don't, for our listeners out there, anyone out there looking for pet insurance, why don't you let them know where they can find you and Pumpkin if, if they should need to inquire more about, you know. Yeah, insurance. absolutely. Uh, just visit us at pumpkin.care. So pumpkin, like on my uh, sweatshirt here, and then .care. You'll find everything you need there, a ton of information and uh, the ability to get a quote and learn anything you want to about pet health insurance. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. 
Thanks, Thank you, guys. Been a pleasure.